open up your books, you bad apples. We officially do have listeners, which is exciting. And a lot podcast-wise has happened in the last two weeks because a day or two after we recorded episode three is when we officially put episode one up and made the Instagram account. And now I've had at least five or seven people say, oh, yeah, man, hey, cool podcast. And I'm like, wow, I literally never thought I would read those words in my life. So that's kind of exciting. <laughs> uh, so I, I just got done watching this Kurt Cobain documentary, right? And uh, it was on HBO. I can't remember what it was. But I remember there was a quote from his mom. And it was right when Nevermind came out. And this is when they just blew up, right? And the mom was like, oh, Kurt, you're not going to be able to handle this. And at 100 listens, that's how I'm feeling right now. Oh, wow. Well, hey, when you think about it, it is the exact same thing. Yeah, man. So like we're going to be on the cover of Rolling Stone soon. Yeah, the future is bright. I can imagine that being very like not even stressful, but I think I I listened to a podcast about Nirvana once and yeah, they just put the one album out and then literally whatever, a couple months later, like everyone knew who they were. That must just be something else. Oh, yeah. Especially for Co- Kurt Cobain, because he was not a people person. Yeah, <laughs> like, he was always kind of delicate, wasn't he? Oh, yeah. He was very delicate. He couldn't That's handle right, criticism at all. And then all of a sudden, like he releases the album and then, you know, he's in this the public's eye so much. I listened through the entirety of Nevermind once or twice a while back. And I, I specifically remember the song Polly. It's about like a parrot or something like that. Yeah, and wanting a cracker. I, yeah, I that's all I can remember. But, goes, yeah. but he flips it on its head somehow. Like maybe he says cracker want a poly or something like that. Or maybe I'm thinking of something that is not even related to that at all. The little switcheroo. I want to say I've been really digging the song Territorial Pissings from that album. And it's just... Uh, pure adrenaline. I, I'd love to listen to some of that older stuff just because it seems good to hear some groundwork for or groundwork and what influences a lot of new stuff today. But I don't even listen to much guitar music in the first place unless it's like like Danny Brown has a song off of his 2010 mixtape, The Hybrid, called Guitar Solo. And it's just, I mean, there's there's big chunks of that song where it's just someone playing a guitar solo, but that's about as extreme as I get with like indie guitar type music, unless it's in like a Kanye song or something like that, I suppose. That's completely fine. Yeah, I don't you listen know? to much rock and roll. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode four of the Bad Apple Book Club. I am your host, Lucas Nord. And I am your host, Cole Lang. And Cole, pal, how is it going today? Wonderful, great, exciting. How is the weather over there in Germany? Weather, it's getting hot. Uh, It's getting as hot as St. Petersburg, I would imagine. We are finally getting into like the 90s and there's no AC here. So I'm I'm, I'm dying. Um, Have you learned any new German words uh, since our last recording that you might want to hit me and any potential listeners with. Oh, so there's a quote from the book, Vater aus Berlin. It just means father. My father comes from Berlin. And it's from the 
German landlord of Katarina. I don't know. I've been learning through this book as well. Learning lots, actually. Good stuff. That is, uh, that's cool. I'm glad to hear it. Perhaps we should give a brief recap on episode three and part three of the book. Part three of Crime and Punishment, it was mostly family quarrels, and we get to know his sister and mother a bit more. Um, He got accused of murder by a random man on the street. (laughs) Yeah, and he oh, he started shaking. He couldn't handle the accusation. I think the biggest standout part to me over the whole section was um, learning about Raskolnikov's writings that he had published about the superior and extraordinary man. The one in 10,000 or one in 100,000 or one in a million. Yes, and his obsession with trying to be the next Napoleon by murdering the pawnbroker. Only his results turned out a little bit different than, you know, what Napoleon's road led him to. Unfortunately. I I can't personally say if Napoleon went through much mental anguish for the acts he committed, but I think it's probably safe to assume that Raskolnikov wasn't having a good time before or after committing these grisly crimes. No, not having a good time at all. This book is full of isolation, uh, mental anguish, (laughs) pretty much... um, Everything you need to create a dark setting. And we're we're also introduced to Periphery, who brings up that theory, or he discovers that theory, and he digs into Raskolnikov a little bit. The detective. Yes, when when they go visit him, so when he uh when he goes with Resumian and calls him a six foot Romeo, which a I just thought was Romeo. That was just my my favorite quote out of the whole last part because he's obviously got a bit of a thing for for Dunya and hey who can blame him she seems like a sweet gal very sweet strong personality well hey man like I said she seems like quite the catch and uh, it wasn't even just Resumian that had his eye on her um, the doctor Zosimov even <laughs> even had something to say the second he saw her but uh, that's a fetching we girl know, yeah that, now that's a fetching girl but as we know um, Resumian just wasn't having it no he wasn't he called and dibs. Then to end the part three we were introduced to a man named Svidri Galov I think that's about as good a pronunciation as either of us will get. Uh, I'm gonna stumble across it, but we're gonna we're gonna make it through. Let's just get down to this stuff. Part four, we're doing it. It's happening. Where part three left off, uh, Svidri Galov he arrives in Raskolnikov's room, and that that's where part three ends, and part four picks up at that same point in time raskolnikov he can't believe what he's seeing because he just woke up to this man looking at him sitting in this chair across from him and then svidri galov tells him that he tells raskolnikov that he thinks he's a very interesting man and has wanted to meet him for some time secondly he wants to meet up with dunya dunya hates 
Svidri Galov, so he wants Raskolnikov to help him. Raskolnikov basically says, fuck off. I think his observation of Raskolnikov being a very interesting man is pretty accurate. Oh yeah, without a doubt. He would stand out anywhere. But this is also a disgusting man. Dunya worked for him. And he tried to make advances on her, and Dunya didn't want it. And this man, he likes to get around, and he's a very despicable man and just a pretty dirty man, and Raskolnikov knows this. And it was actually through him that Dunya originally had her reputation ruined because his wife thought some fishy business was going on, so she was spreading all sorts of rumors. And after finding out the truth... She actually cleaned up Dunya's reputation, and that is how Peter Petrovich came to learn about her in the first place. Exactly. And it is also rumored that this man killed or poisoned his wife, and I guess that would be kill as well because she did die. Yeah. And uh, this was only like a couple days ago, and he he just came to St. Petersburg, and it's, uh, as we'll see it's pretty obvious he wants to meet up with Dunya again. He moved on pretty quick. Yes. Yes, he did. So Svidri Galov, he's like trying to explain why he wants to see Dunya. And he says that he's a victim because he is a slave to passion. No. That was one of the quotes that he used. That would be really sweet if it wasn't coming from a complete scumbag. Exactly. If this came from Resumian, it would be completely fine, but this dude's a a dirtbag, so. Agreed. Raskolnikov, he just kind of, he, he responds by saying, it doesn't matter why you're here, what your argument is, we fucking hate you. We show you the door, get out. Be gone. Svidri Gailov, he laughs, but then reminds himself that, oh my gosh, my wife just died. And uh, <laughs> uh, Raskolnikov says, so I hear you killed your wife. And he, he responds saying that he didn't, but he did whip her only once or twice during their seven-year marriage. He also mentions that women like to be insulted and dominated and this is the part where raskolnikov you know although he's an evil person he does have a moral compass about him and he is disgusted by everything this man is saying we've already heard a few different examples through the book too like uh an article that was brought up earlier about you know are women human beings and examples sort of like that so i guess that's just more of that kind of poking through interestingly in the book saying that Svidri Galov's observation of women is that they like all that kind of abuse. Yeah, exactly. And we'll see that he, just like Peter, he likes to pretty much take advantage of people not in his economic class as well. There's some similar similarities there as well. Uh, despite all of this, these disgusting things that this man is saying, Raskolnikov is a bit interested because 
they're two very awful people. And when you put two very awful people in the same room, I'd imagine they'd have some things in common and might strike up some good conversations. Negative so, thoughts could lead to some positive energy. Exactly. I kept on thinking, like, who would this be like? And it'd be like if Stalin and Hitler were put in the same room, they might hate hate each other. But, you know, Stalin might compliment what Hitler did with the holocaust and then hitler might be like oh i I like what you did with the gulag or something like that (laughs) (laughs) but that's a very extreme example svidri galov also explains how him and his wife became married svidri galov was in a lot of debt and he lived a pretty reckless life so he went to prison And that's where Marfa Petrovna, uh, she came to the prison and paid all of his debts. Got herself a husband for life, price of 10,000 rubles. (laughs) Yeah, so it's a win-win situation. Nothing can go wrong in this relationship. (laughs) (laughs) I think most relationships are based off like, you know, springing someone out of prison or something like that. I think that that's how you really find a lifelong love and happiness (laughs) and you know it's even better when both of them come out alive after uh seven years of marriage oh absolutely (laughs) let me preface this too by saying i'm not an expert oh (laughs) just merely an observation just yes merely an observation oh man so he claims that she used the payments of his debts to our advantage, kind of like hang it over him and like to try to control him. But this is a man that his impulses can't be controlled. He keeps on explaining the details about their marriage and Raskolnikov is like, well, it seems like you miss, you miss her a lot. And he, (laughs) he smiles a strange smile and says, she is pleased to visit me. She talks to me sometimes at night. Raskolnikov says, or asks if he was awake during this time, and he says yes. And so it's like he's having these visions of his dead wife coming to him. Yeah, this guy, we're learning right off the bat, they haven't even been talking for more than five minutes, and we already know that he's a little unhinged. Oh, yeah. And even Raskolnikov is like, wait, this isn't in a dream. You have hallucinations like I do. (laughs) Yeah, no, that or his the spirit of his wife just loves him so much that she still comes around, even though he probably poisoned her to death. Yes. (laughs) I don't know. Uh, Who knows? It's hard to prove. (laughs) (laughs) Raskolnikov, um, he, he, so after he asks the question of like, if he was awake during this, he's like, oh, what made me think of that? Because he's, he's almost like relating to this guy. And then Svidri Galov is like, we got some things in common. When I saw you lie on that bed, I said to myself, this is the man. And that was a direct quote. He said that whole thing. The man. <laughs> this is the man. Enough said. <laughs> Yeah, and then uh, just like the audience or anyone reading this is like, well, what the hell does that mean? Raskolnikov, he responds by saying, well, what is that supposed to mean? And then Svidri Galov, he's like, "Uh, I guess I don't really know either. There is a slasher movie from 1982 called Pieces. The tagline for that movie is, it's exactly what you think it is. (laughs) And I think that we're just hearing two of the same exact kind of situations. He says, this is the man. 
nobody knows what it means, but it perfectly fits what you're thinking of. And just like that movie, it's exactly what you think it is. Yeah. <laughs> you wish that these guys would become friends, but there's just too much conflict of interest. <laughs> <laughs> so after they have this conversation and they, he doesn't know by saying this is the man, they sit in there in silence for some time until Raskolnikov is like, uh, "What? well, what the hell do you mean when she comes to see you? Like, he, he doesn't know if this if he meant like a ghost or like a voice of her. And Svidrigailov explains that she asks him, do you want to know your fortune? And appears randomly just to show off her dress that she has on him. And she also tells him how rude it is to be pursuing girls only three days after her death. Yeah, this lady is just coming back with a vengeance after her death. And, you know, Raskolnikov, I, I won't say he's wrong. This guy does seem to be a bit of a rattlesnake. A little bit of a rattlesnake. That's a very good way to put it. I like that. A bit of a salty dog. A salty dog. <laughs> yeah, that works as well. Thank you. <laughs> so after this exchange, Raskolnikov, he tells Svidrigailov that he needs to see a doctor. And then Svidrigailov says that he knows that his mental health isn't that great himself, but this was kind of weird, but... He mentions that he is at least five times more powerful than Raskolnikov. So he's like, yeah, I might be a terrible person, but it doesn't matter because I'm more powerful than you. And Raskolnikov during this whole exchange is actually kind of scared of this man. Well, actually really scared. Or they trail off into a discussion of if they believe in ghosts or the afterlife. And Raskolnikov doesn't believe in any of that and gets frustrated. And he says, wait a second, what are you doing in my room again? And Svidrigailov <laughs> explains that Peter is an in-law of his and he hates him as well. So once again, they have something in common. So it's so nice. Absolutely. He doesn't want the marriage to happen either. He has the... Same take on the marriage that Raskolnikov has, where they both think that Dunya is sacrificing herself for her family financially by marrying this guy because they are of different economic classes. So he wants to set up a meeting with Raskolnikov as a mediator, basically. I couldn't imagine a better person to oh. mediate uh, this argument. <laughs> Never once. Yeah, just good, mild mannered. Keeps to himself. Keeps to himself. Might be sweating. Might, might try to throw you down a set of steps. Yeah, exactly. But it's just so funny that he thought this is the man. This is the man that's gonna get me to Dunya. This is the man. Just like the Amanda Bynes movie. Or no, uh, she, she's the man. She's the man. That was probably a terrible movie. I don't really recall it. I think I saw it, and the only part I remember is when she gets a soccer ball kicked into her crotch. Oh, and then a, you know she's supposed to, she's supposed to be a supposed to be a man. So she sits there for a second and doesn't do anything, and then she goes ah, you know, just because you know that's what a, that's what a man would do in that situation. Nothing better than those early two thousands comedies. Oh, absolutely not. <laughs> I will say, though, once again, sidetracking here, Mean Girls is one of my favorite movies of all time. 
Okay, that's an exception. Yes. Thank you. <laughs> but anyways, Svidrigailov wants Raskolnikov to be base to basically set up this meeting for him and Dunya so he can pay her 10,000 rubles to help support her. Raskolnikov is kind of offended because he knows that his intentions probably aren't that good. And then Svidrigailov asks Raskolnikov if he will relay the message. And he's like, mm, no. So <laughs> <laughs> it's not going well for uh, old Svidrigailov as well. He is disappointed and hopes that they will become friends. Because you, you want to see it, but you just know that it's not going to happen. <laughs> Why do you want to see it? <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm just imagining like a dark comedy of these two um, hanging out, taking on St. Petersburg, and having a good time. I don't know. <laughs> it could make for an interesting Seinfeld-type TV show, I suppose. <laughs> this whole cast of characters. <laughs> Yeah, this book is about nothing, damn it. <laughs> yeah, it's a it's a book about nothing. <laughs> <laughs> oh shit. But yeah, I think that would be a good sitcom. It's almost it's kind of like um it's always sunny, I guess in a way. I I mean, that's basically Seinfeld on crack, but you have two very bad characters and that's what makes the show so good. Yeah, that, that is perhaps a more apt example. <laughs> so, yeah, all he wants is for him and Raskolnikov to be friends. And uh, Raskolnikov, he does not see it happening. So Svidrigailov, he starts to ex exit the room and he tells Raskolnikov that his dead wife left Dunya 3,000 rubles, which is very nice of her. It has no connection to... Svidri Gailov at all. It's just, as we mentioned earlier, Dunya and this lady had a good relationship towards um, the end there. He le he let lets him know this. He exits and Razumian comes up to get Ras Raskolnikov so they can get to the big family meeting with Peter. Business time. Business time is going down. And Peter up to this point still does not expect Raskolnikov to be coming, obviously, because he probably, uh, Peter Petrovich probably thinks that he's calling the shots because he's so much more important than all these people. But uh, he's going to have a hard lesson to learn here coming up. Yes, he will. Razumian, he asks Raskolnikov who the man was, and Raskolnikov just explains, Oh, he's just a strange man who I am very afraid of. So Razumian, he's he starts saying, oh, we must guard the family with our lives, Raskolnikov. We must find out where he lives. And and he also reminds Raskolnikov that he remembers faces very well. So that was probably really reassuring that he has good fa facial recognition in his memory. They reach the outside of the room where the meeting is and Peter is there. They don't greet him and enter the room. So Peter, he asks the mother and sister about their travels they say that the train ride was awful due to the size of mother russia <laughs> but it helps because they had resume in there to help them out once they got uh to saint petersburg that guy <laughs> will would bend over backwards for anyone yes especially for women he's attracted to <laughs> yes sir <laughs> 
<laughs> that's a fetching girl. <laughs> no, that's a fetching girl. <laughs> What'd you just say about her? <laughs> you, you pig. <laughs> <laughs> the mother and sister ask if they have asked or met Razumian yet, and he's like, oh, yes. Like, he is not happy that Raskolnikov and Razumian are here because they weren't supposed to be here. Mm-mm. Dostoevsky, he goes on to describe Peter as a man who will be courteous among elites of society, but as soon as he's challenged by lower classes of society, he collapses and becomes a, quote, bag of flour he's nothing but a big phony exactly yeah um and and then silence overcomes overcomes the room for some time and it's just like awkward silence and the mother she breaks it by saying (laughs) it's just so funny because this is so reminiscent of like um you know family gatherings that i'll go to around christmas and it's just like awkward silence and then my grandma or somebody will try to break the silence by bringing up uh, i don't know something she saw on fox news uh but the mother she she breaks the silence by saying oh, oh did you hear about that lady that was probably killed by her husband referencing the woman that dunya worked for that was poisoned by svidri galov Full circle. Full circle. It's nice that in the last episode of the episode before, you had noted that Raskolnikov's mother was not a woman that could sit in a completely quiet room full of people, I mean. Yeah, she always has to have the silence broken, and it's usually her doing it, no matter how (laughs) inappropriate the subject is. (laughs) (laughs) Peter says that Svidri Galov has come to the city and that scares the mother and Dunya because the mother and Dunya, they've heard multiple rumors of him poisoning the wife and Dunya just does not like this person at all. And Peter goes on to say that he has heard from the dead wife that he was guilty of some crimes that he could have, that could have sent him to Siberia. So he's just like hinting, like, yeah, I heard he was pretty bad. I've heard of some nasty crimes he did. And just like teasing it, he goes on to tell his story where Svidrigailov had an affair with a young, deaf, and dumb girl. He also tells a story of how his servant was driven to suicide due to beatings by Svidrigailov. Meanwhile, Dunya is listening to these and she was there during all these events and kind of recalls them differently. And so she's like, "Uh, actually, that's not how it went down. And then Peter's like, oh, so you're defending all these nasty things that he might have done. God. Yeah, just a nasty dude. Raskolnikov, he makes his grand entrance to the conversation because once again, like usual, he's just standing there in silence. He says, this man was watching me sleep earlier. He said that his dead wife left Dunya 3,000 rubles and he wants to propose something to Dunya. And then the rest of the family wants to hear it, but Raskolnikov is like, oh, I'll tell him later. Peter's here, and that's what it's all about, because he, <laughs> Svidrigailov doesn't want 
Peter to marry Dunya either. And Peter's right there. So Peter gets ready to go He because he's offended. And he's like, well, if you're not going to say it, I guess I'll just leave then. And then... <laughs> so he gets his coat and everything and then dunia is like wait a second we're gonna we're gonna settle the fog that's surrounding you and raskolnikov and then peter says there are lines that are too dangerous to overstep once it has there is no return cannot unring the bell Yes, and and this reminds me of the movie Parasite because there are many references in that movie where, and to any of the listeners that haven't seen Parasite, it's a movie about basically class and the divisions of class. And there's so many references to don't cross this line, if you can recall that. I remember the specific part where, this shouldn't spoil anything too bad, but the rich father and the poor father were the poor father tried to give the rich father some advice and that's exactly what the rich guy told him was let's just keep this strictly professional we don't talk about that kind of stuff because you work for me if i may say that is our second reference to parasite since we started making this podcast yeah it's actually pretty relevant when it comes to these discussions about class when whenever Peter or Svidrigailov are involved. So, yeah, it's actually a pretty good movie to reference at points. Parasite by Bong Joon-ho, now streaming on Hulu. (laughs) (laughs) Which is true. And and it's been recommended by the Bad Apple Book Club. (laughs) Yeah, there we go. They got to put that on the poster when they re-release the movie. (laughs) Everyone's going to be like, well, who the hell are these guys? (laughs) (laughs) Junia goes on to explain that, well, despite whatever lines might have been crossed, I I still want to settle things. She doesn't want to choose Peter or Raskolnikov because that's what it's coming to. Like Raskolnikov is saying it's either me or Peter. Peter is saying it's either me or Raskolnikov. Peter, he gets very angry that he's compared to her brother. (laughs) And uh, he's just like, you compared to me to that that monster? And then Raskolnikov is just smiling and feeding off of his anger. (laughs) So Peter, he keeps on trying to argue and blame that Raskolnikov is the cause of all of his misfortune, that everything would be fine if Raskolnikov just didn't come into into, uh, this whole affair. So the mother goes on to explain that, well, now, Peter, you have been spreading rumors about our boy through the letter we received earlier, because in this letter, he said that um, Raskolnikov is giving money to random prostitutes. So it, it was pretty cool to see the mom step up for Raskolnikov at this point. And yeah, then, no, she's a, she's a good lady. She knows what she's doing. Yeah, and like, so everyone in the room is kind of, well, they're quickly turning on Peter. And Raskolnikov is like, yeah, you're trying to trade, you're trying to frame me, buddy. <laughs> and and then Peter tries to say he was trying to make him look good. He's like, no, 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 no. I wanted to make it look like you're giving money to the less fortunate. <laughs> Classic 180. Yeah, he's like, you got it all wrong, Raskolnikov. <laughs> <laughs> you didn't read the letter. <laughs> yeah, it wasn't meant for you. <laughs> Oh man. And then he asks if he would if Raskolnikov would let Sonia associate with his mother and sister. And Raskolnikov is like, "Hell yeah." And he also says that the letter he wrote was only intended for 
the mom to read. And then the mom slaps him again and says, wait a second, Peter. We are not under your command. They yeah. Keep- yeah. So go m- mother. Yes. It's awesome. And they keep arguing. And Dunya, she's starting to see that Raskolnikov was onto something with her, with his perception of Peter. Dunya tells him to leave and he says that if he goes out on this note the marriage is done and dunya is basically whatever dude i don't want to see you and tells him to leave so i could imagine if this was a 90s sitcom like everyone would be clapping as uh, yeah, peter, well. peter gets angry and he leaves they they should have all been clapping anyway, and then Dunya could hit him with a smell you later, put on a pair of sunglasses or something, maybe flick a cigarette up into her mouth and like light <laughs> it with like some kind of a match trick or a zippo or something like that. That could be kind of fun. Yes. And then just watch Peter as he uh climbs down those stairs in shame. Yep. With his tail tucked between his legs understandably so but you know it's not like he didn't have it coming honestly but yeah so peter he gets angry and he's and he's like well, uh, well you can't break a promise and i paid for your train ticket and then raskolnikov he, he's just like laughing as this whole relationship is falling apart before his eyes and peter goes on to explain that despite the nasty rumors about dunya he's still became engaged to her so he's like you know what i could i had the choice to not marry you but i still did despite the nasty things that were said and he goes on to say well maybe those rumors are right and at this moment Razumian jumps up and says do you want your head smashed in and then <laughs> raskolnikov out of every everyone is holding him back and he tells peter to leave Peter feels much hatred towards Raskolnikov at this point. And as he goes down the stairs, he's like, well, you know, it could have gone better, but I think I still have a chance. (laughs) Just, I mean, this is slowly turning into a Resumian fan podcast, but there he goes again, defending, defending the maiden's honor. Yes, our knight in shining armor coming once again to protect Dunya. And, you know, he probably wasn't wasn't bs and he was probably pretty angry with mr peter petrovich understandably so i mean peter was really showing his true colors at this point so absolutely but after he goes down the stairs for the first time we are introduced to peter's thoughts and like what exactly was his or what his intentions were when he was going to marry dunya and raskolnikov was fucking right he wanted to Take advantage of Dunya's position, her a person of lower economic class, so she could basically worship him as a quote savior. Raskolnikov so, hit the hit the nail on the head. Yes, and, and we'll see this time and time again that Raskolnikov he he can read people very well. You know, the part his moral compass might be down, but oh my gosh, his his ability to read people is way up there. Yes. <laughs> Back in the room, they all celebrate. And like I said, like I, as I was reading this, I just imagined it was a 90s sitcom where the audience is clapping and cheering. And then the mother says, God has delivered us. That was a direct quote as well. And Resumian is the most excited, obviously. He's like, oh, of course. Fuck yeah, 
fuck yeah. Uh, he uh, <laughs> he kind of sounds like the human version of like a golden retriever or something like that. <laughs> very excitable. Very obedient. Good overall guy. <laughs> yeah, enough said. <laughs> oh, man. Just throw him a dog bone and he'll be happy. <laughs> hey, why not? Yeah. As long as, as he's got his loyal owners, Raskolnikov and Dunya, he, he's he's happy with life. <laughs> it's all you need. I might name my dog Razumian one day. That would be, that'd be very nice. It would be a nice reference. And then you could tell everyone, I read Crime and Punishment, so I get to oh, name him that. Oh, you don't know who Dostoyevsky is? Oh, that's a shame. He... He is one of the most renowned writers of, in, in Russia. The key, <laughs> the key to that is to put as many syllables in Dostoyevsky so that it sounds even more important and like uh, fancy than just Dostoyevsky. You know what I mean? You really got to draw <laughs> that name out. You want them to know that you've read a, uh, a classic Russian literature from over 100 years ago. Yeah, Razumian, he's cheering. Raskolnikov is just chilling in the corner, and he's still thinking about Svidrigailov. Like, he's still kind of scarred from the conversation they had from earlier. The family, they they settle down, and they're like, all right, Raskolnikov, tell us tell us about what this uh, offer that Svidrigailov has. And Raskolnikov tells them that his plan is to give Dunya 10,000 rubles. They explain that they don't want the money. Because obviously they just got done with this interaction with the man that uses power, his economic power over this family. And they know Svidri Gelov would do the same. Raskolnikov, he, he doesn't quite know what his motive is. And he can't figure him out, which is weird because like we've been saying, he can read people very well. It's also really interesting how everyone in the room agrees with that. Like nobody up until this point not even at this point, obviously, has been swayed by money. Even when Dunya could, you know, be set up to support her and her family and all that stuff, she's not with it when she learns Peter Petrovich's true motives and Raskolnikov hasn't been interested by money uh, in the slightest throughout the whole book, you know, giving it away or whatever. It's just kind of a interesting thing that's been happening quite regularly through the whole book. Yeah, it is a consistent theme throughout the book, and just like everything else in this book, it is quite relevant to today. So, just another thing that, even though this book is like, oh man, 160, yeah, 160 years old, it is still very relevant when it comes to this class division. Absolutely. Yeah, they can all agree that his motive is bad because... They know this man very well. And Razumian, he's like, he gets up, you know, his hair is flowing, his his armor is on, and he's like, I will protect you guys at any cost. And <laughs> he and then Razumian also mentions that they could use the money to start a book publishing company due to his and Raskolnikov's knowledge of the business. They both know multiple languages. Raskolnikov, so he's like, yeah, that's a good idea. Then Razumian starts to explain how they can set up a business. And and then Raskolnikov, as Razumian's going through his 
pretty detailed business plans. Raskolnikov just gets up and leaves. <laughs> sure. And the family, they're like, oh, Raskolnikov, where are you going? And then Raskolnikov, he tries to smile and he, he says... It's as if you are burying me or saying goodbye forever. And that was his direct quote. They ask where he is going to, and he says, It is best if I part for a time. I feel very ill. I will remember you all, but leave me be or I will hate you. This whole time, the family is celebrating. Resumian, you know, he's trying to set up a future for himself and Raskolnikov and his family. It's at this point where Raskolnikov starts to realize that he has no family because of his actions. He has a family, but he is completely isolated at this point because how is his family supposed to live with Raskolnikov committing a heinous act? So his mother just basically exclaims, Good God! And he, he tries to exit, but Dunya, she, she's like, what the hell, Raskolnikov? And he, she can't believe the pain he's caused his mother the whole time she's been here because there's been so many instances where he'll just like leave his family and tries to stop him. And he can barely explain himself and exits. Like he just mumbles a few words and exits. Razumian follows him and tries to see where he's going. Raskolnikov tells him that he must leave him alone, but watch over his family. They glance at each other for some time, and this was the quote from the book. It, it was, a hint was mutually understood. Razumian shudders at the thought that was just transferred between them, and Raskolnikov says, do you understand now? And Razumian goes back to the family, and although he is very emotional, he sues the family as if he was part of the as if he was part of the family so yeah this was a very sad scene very emotional very emotional because Razumian knows what's up with Raskolnikov he has a very good idea of what of why Raskolnikov is acting so weird but despite all of this he is still protecting the family and comforting them even though he just learned that his best friend is a murderer. Yeah, that that takes <laughs> that takes a lot. Yeah, Raskolnikov he starts to go away and he goes straight to where Sonia lives and he reaches her floor and this is very late at night. So Sonia is startled by his unexpected appearance. The room is described as a barn with minimal furniture and a bed without a curtain, which was kind of weird, but I guess at this time period, the mo most of the beds had like, it was almost like a, a bug netting that would go around the bed. And Sonia doesn't even have this cheap protection against bugs on her bed. So yeah, it's a very poor looking room and Raskolnikov notices it and he just starts criticizing her room. He's like, that's ugly. That's ugly. You need a curtain on your bed. And he just sits in her room in silence for so long and it, and it scares Sonia. Like just imagine if a man just walked into your room and sat there and says nothing for like five minutes. But well, See, I immediately thought of, too, how they could both go toe-to-toe -to -toe on who has the worst living situation. 
Yeah, like he's in no place to criticize her room. Yeah. I'm pretty sure her her room's small, but her room's described as a barn. A barn is much bigger than a cupboard, so I imagine it well, I suppose I imagine every every interior in this book being kind of stinky, but when I think of barn, I guess I just immediately think of something smell. that doesn't smell very pleasant. Yeah, exactly. Or after some time, Raskolnikov breaks the silence and he's like, oh, I'm sorry for being late. He also observes Sonia and says, oh, you're, you're so thin. What a hand. Quite transparent, like a dead hand <laughs> because she's so pale. And this is not something you want to be saying to a girl at like midnight or whatever time it is. He's a bit of a ladies' man. <laughs> a bit of a ladies' okay. man. Wait, are you saying it's okay to say it at any other time of the day, just not midnight? <laughs> yes, because I don't know, man. Like, this is a good. I'm going to take this compliment. I'm going to tell how transparent some girl's hand is. And it's like, oh, it looks like a dead hand, you know? I think sure. that would uh, attract them a lot. So we'll give it a try. Sure. <laughs> But yeah, like this whole scene is like, it kind of plays out as if, I don't know if Dostoevsky was intending it for it to be like somewhat romantic, but like Raskolnikov is just slaughtering it. Like he's not doing a good job of impressing Sonia. Like he's just like criticizing everything about her. It isn't exactly a surprise though. No, I, I guess not. Raskolnikov... He doesn't know what to say at all, <laughs> most of the time. So, And then Raskolnikov, he, he starts to question about the landlady of Sonia's place and her stepmom. He casually asks if she beat Sonia when she was younger. And uh, th- this was the wife of Marmaladov, the drunk that would drag him around the tower, or no, drag him around the room by his hair and be very abusive to him and the kids. Sonia says that she used to be very friendly, very caring and smart, but has recently lost it due to their misfortunes. Yeah, she used to be a woman of class and all these misfortunes. She cannot stand being of a lower class and it's just kind of making her go insane. Raskolnikov then says that the family is all dependent on Sonia now because she's the oldest of the children. And obviously her stepmom's mental health is going down the drain. Sonia explains earlier that they couldn't afford a nice pair of shoes and Raskolnikov comments that the shopping, the excessive shopping is why they can't live in good conditions. So basically, Sonia is talking about them going to what would be an equivalent of Louis Vuitton, Gucci stores. Even though they have no money to spare, they are spending their money in ways they shouldn't. And Raskolnikov, he's like, well, that's why you live in such a shithole. You're just like throwing your money money away. <laughs> so... He's got all the advice for her. Raskolnikov also says he thinks the stepmom will die soon because she is coughing up blood like throughout this book. And it might be better that way because Sonia would have to take the children in. And this is what's, what Raskolnikov says. And, and see, I'm not exactly a medical professional, but coughing up blood isn't good. Not a sign you want. And, and it's not just like cough in her 
little little bits of blood when she coughs. It's like no, she takes takes out a handkerchief and blood. It'll be covered in blood after after she's done coughing. Well, I hope she has plenty of handkerchiefs then. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, Raskolnikov he advises Sonia that it's going to be better for you to take these children in. And he makes it even worse. And he's like, wait a second. If you're taking, if you're taking care of them and you get ill, uh, who's going to take care of the children? <laughs> like, what if you go to the hospital and die? And then Sonia gets very upset. And then uh, Raskolnikov starts facing the room. He's like, oh, shit, did I say something wrong? Like... <laughs> <laughs> And then he says that, Sonia, you can't handle your finances that well. And (laughs) the other sisters will probably have to enter prostitution as well. (laughs) So, And then Sonia is like, no, God will not allow it. And then Raskolnikov is like, well, it's happened before. And maybe there is no God. And then (laughs) she starts to like break down again. And then Raskolnikov is like, oh. You're unhinged. And, and he paces the room and then he he's just walking back and forth and then he decides, ah, oh, now's a good time to get on my knees and kiss her feet. <laughs> like this sure. is gonna this is gonna comfort her. And then yeah, she's Yeah, that like, ought to set things straight. <laughs> yeah, dude, that's how I settle things, man. Yep. If I got beef with somebody, dude, I just start kissing their feet. <laughs> She she's like, oh, Raskolnikov, what the hell? But Raskolnikov actually recovers and he's like, I'm going to be courteous now. And I'm going to say I'm going to say this. It, it was an honor to have you sit by my family earlier. And so he recovered there. It was actually pretty impressive and a very nice thing to say. He, he goes on to explain that it is her constant suffering and resilience that makes her great. However, he doesn't understand how constant shame can coexist with such a strong sense of religion he clearly would you know know a thing or two about constant suffering yes and so that's another thing another theme of this book is that suffering is consistently brought up in this like we'll see that Dostoevsky was big in that you you can you can repay well you can repent for your crimes basically if you suffer kind of kind of on the same lines he did when he was you know barely getting involved with um some enlightening talks with like socialist uh people and he got sent to Siberia and after that he was totally against anything. Well, I wouldn't say totally against, but he was very skeptical of anyone that promises like a utopia for society. He was definitely in the wrong place at the wrong time. Yeah, the, this is kind of the the first introduction to the idea of suffering, but it will have a much more stronger presence as we go further into this book. So yeah, he, he has much shame himself, even though he criticizes Sonia for having such shame, even though she has like such a strong sense of religion. And then he basically says, well, maybe it'd be better if you end your life. So, yeah, once again, yeah, it's just, come on. He already, he already hasn't exactly been shooting threes. You know, the banks closed on Mondays, man. He, he's not hitting these shots at all. (laughs) Okay. Wait, the banks closed on Mondays. 
So there, there's certain shots you can take in basketball where it bounces off the backboard and goes into the basket and it's called the bank. And ah. if you're on fire and like, and if you're like hitting these shots off the backboard, you're like, oh, the bank's open on, you know, whatever day it might be. Huh. So, yeah. Well, yeah, you learn something it, new every day. Yeah. So stay tuned to get more sport references. Yeah. yeah learn Lucas along with me. Big, yeah. <laughs> Lucas is the biggest sport man I know. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> hey, but, hey, here's here's one for you. Um, free throw. <laughs> uh, nice, dude. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> yeah, he says this and and he's like thinking the whole time. He's like, why hasn't she considered this? And then he realizes that, oh, shit, it's because she's super religious. So he's like, well, maybe the Bible can help me out. So he spots a Bible just chilling on this nearby drawer and a cross is on this drawer as well. And he asks who it, who it's from. She says that it's from the pawnbroker sister that Raskolnikov killed. And he's like, huh, strange. Ooh. <laughs> ooh, kind of yeah. pulling on a shirt collar a little. Yeah, he's like, <laughs> he's like, ooh, I don't know if I should confess to this. Yeah, that's that's a little awkward. Little awkward, yeah. How is he going to form a relationship with this girl? Who knows? Mm. But <laughs> so he starts like frantically flipping through the pages and he's like, where's the story of Lazarus? Where's the story of Lazarus? And he's like not even making an effort to like actually find it. He's just like <laughs> frantically like threading through these pages. And then she's like, ah, Raskolnikov, you're in the totally wrong part. It's in the old testament or new testament i don't know and (laughs) she's like fine find it for me and hands her the book (laughs) (laughs) and then she's like that uh you don't already know this story and then he he responds this is a direct quote it's so funny because it's just like sometimes when he says something it's like something you would imagine a child would say (laughs) or an old man i don't know but Uh, hey (laughs) hey one in the same bro yeah honestly (laughs) he responds so yeah she's like you don't know about this story already and then he responds long ago now read like a grumpy old man or a young child or a young child either one but before she does, she explains that the prawn or the pawnbroker's sister and herself would basically have like these Bible study sessions. And <laughs> she says, This is a quote I shall be like a religious maniac soon. It's infectious. <laughs> <laughs> it's as if like she comes across a new genre of music she's like oh yeah this uh um these beatles are really infectious or something like she's having a beetle mania over uh the bible absolutely (laughs) raskolnikov insists that he's like Sonia, will you just read? Like, I don't care that you have had these Bible studies and that you're like super devoted. And then she goes on to read the story of uh, Lazarus. and But it's about um, a man who died and Jesus comes into town. The And this the sister of the man who died is like, Jesus, you got to help. My, my, my brother died. And can you do anything about this, even though it's been four days? And... 
Jesus resurrects him. As she as she's reading this story, she is very moved by this story. Like she's um almost like shaking. Like like uh yeah, she might have just like started getting into the Bible, whatever, and she's very um into it, but it's obvious that this story has um a lot to do kind kind of with herself, I guess. Like starting she wants to start a new life similar to Raskolnikov, and um, maybe reading this makes her realize that. So she finishes reading, and Raskolnikov is like, I want you to run away with me and start a new life. And she doesn't really understand. He doesn't give like any details about it, and she doesn't understand it. And he says, I'll explain more tomorrow, and I'll also tell you... Who killed your best friend? And oh, wow. <laughs> Double whammy. Yeah. So he's like, yeah, I'm going to plan our vacation tomorrow. And I'll also tell you who killed your best friend. The cops um, this- don't know, but I do. Yeah, I do. I'm very smart. <laughs> <laughs> and superior to everyone else. <laughs> but don't tell anyone about that last part. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Uh, so he leaves the room and uh, on this note, which is super weird. And once again, she is rightfully confused. <laughs> and then we learned that Svidri Galov is bunking next door and heard the whole conversation. Bum, one bum, of my bum. favorite, one of my favorite reveals in the book. Yeah, Dude, just mentions honestly. how he's sitting on the other side of the door the entire time, just sucking up air and listening to two people speak in private oh my god dude yeah like i was like oh man cool like it's just gonna be a confession and then basically the villain in this whole story is listening in the whole time yeah it's crazy it's an it's one of my favorite parts of the whole book and it really stood out to me when when reading it and i still remember it pretty well oh dude but yeah, obviously this is going to come into play. The next morning, Raskolnikov goes to the police department to visit Periphery. Raskolnikov is very suspicious, and <laughs> he's looking around the whole room, and he's like, huh, no one's looking at me funny. Everyone's going about their day. This guy's sipping his coffee. This guy's uh, printing off some papers, whatnot. And he he's like... All of a sudden, he's like, I, I really hate this man. Why am I here? But eventually, he is summoned to Periphery's room. And Periphery is very odd, or he's very friendly to him. And this comes off as a, it comes off as very odd. Raskolnikov, he tries to casually say, so you wanted to question me about the murders? And <laughs> fails, it probably came out more like, uh, so uh uh, you wanted to uh, question me about the about the murders or okay. something like that. No, see, see when I read it and I picture Raskolnikov saying it, it's something like, "So you wanted to question me about the murders?" <laughs> yeah, Raskolnikov then goes on to explain how his investiga- investigation techniques will go. And he, he's basically calling him out on like, I know what your techniques are and periphery. The thing about him is he is always laughing and he starts to laugh and he agrees. And all of a sudden he just laughs 
uncontrollably, like as if this is the funniest thing he's ever heard. And then Raskolnikov is like, <laughs> and just starts laughing along as well. And Raskolnikov all of a sudden gets angry. God damn it. If you're going to ask questions, do it. No, no mind games. I have a funeral to attend to. <laughs> no baloney with this guy. No baloney, exactly. <laughs> Let's get down to the meat and potatoes. Yeah, and did I mention the funeral that I'm probably going to miss? <laughs> In response, Porifri says, uh, you have nothing to worry about, Raskolnikov. He starts to make, to make Raskolnikov nervous by just pacing back and forth in the room. And he, he doesn't start asking Raskolnikov questions and he's just like rambling and laughing to himself which is super weird. He basically says that I'm gonna do it my own way like no matter what you say like I'm gonna use my own techniques on you and for Raskolnikov this is very frustrating because usually you know he can uh he's used to being the superior man in the room so it's very odd for him to be walking into the trap once again. He's now met his match. Exactly. The mind games will commence. Yes. He, per- Periphery basically goes on to say, you know, I can destroy a man's mind without doing much investigating. And eventually the criminal will, quote, fly straight into my mouth and I will swallow him. And that will be very amusing. <laughs> and Raskolnikov just stares intensely at him. And he just wants to choke this man out at this moment. Because he's like, this man wants to eat me. <laughs> 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 Periphery goes on to explain his methods. And he's like, oh, I see that's your pale Raskolnikov. You know that pale people, it's usually a sign of guilt. And then he's like, do I need to open up a window? And then Raskolnikov once again gets very angry. And he says, if you suspect me, arrest me. Don't torture me. I will not allow it. I will not allow it. And he repeats this like a few times. He's just like, I will not allow it. And then he's basically starts whispering to himself. He's like, I will not allow it. And then Periphery does a 180 and becomes super comforting to him he's like oh my god this guy yeah so it's almost like a stockholm syndrome thing he's trying to do i guess push him away and pull him right back in yeah exactly And, and he offers him some water and he goes on to reveal that he knows about raskolnikov revisiting the site of the murder so this and why i mean obviously periphery up to this point he's he's probably got his prime suspect right here but then how how do you even explain that away if you're pretending like you didn't murder this person you know what i mean yeah i mean all of the i guess dominoes are being set up and yeah they just keep on falling oh man so yeah he he goes on to say that raskolnikov needs help and needs to take care of himself (laughs) and when you tell this to a person that you're accusing of murder it's obviously gonna make them very angry so it makes me think of you know telling someone to calm down when they're a bit (laughs) peeved and in all the history of the entire world that has never gotten anyone to ever calm down oh yeah that's what i meant (laughs) i'm not calmed up yes um 
Yeah, when I'm channeling channeling de-escalation methods, I'm like, calm down, calm down, you know. Calm down, come on. Yeah. Yep, exactly. Periphery, he's like, Oh, calm down, Raskolnikov. I just want to be your friend. And Raskolnikov once again gets angry and he says, If you're gonna arrest me, do it. And then Periphery responds saying, Well, don't you wanna see my surprise? And he oh. points to the a closet that's in his uh, room and Raskolnikov gets even more angry as Periphery tries to calm him down the sound of men are coming up to the door Raskolnikov feels ready to be arrested well he basically thinks oh shit like I'm getting arrested at this point these guys have come in to arrest me and the door opens oh man just pins before we get to the reveal just pins and needles this entire chapter and just with their um interactions in general yeah and you don't know what's going to be behind the door like and what happens just totally threw me off absolutely yeah and the painter that is accused of the crimes is the one that enters the one who was wrestling around with his boy after yeah. after they got done painting. Uh, once this man enters, he periphery feels like he is being interrupted, and he's like, "Ah, oh, I was so close. I was so close yeah, to, he getting, was getting to another man to confess." <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, and and the painter he confesses to the murder and how he did it. Like he goes in full detail on how he did it. Periphery listens attentively. He's like, "Okay, I'll hear you out." And then he tells Raskolnikov to leave. <laughs> and then he says, he says to Periphery, he's like, well, I wasn't expecting that. <laughs> yeah, no, I think everyone, everyone, the readers and the uh, involved parties were all caught off guard. Honestly. And then Periphery says that, well, he notices that Raskolnikov is still shaking. So he, he still, he still has his suspicions even though this man confessed to him right there and now and raskolnikov says that they can say their final goodbyes basically like this is it you know he's like clapping his hands and he's done you know he's wiping his hands off he's free but periphery says that they'll meet again and and he asks him don't you have a birthday party to go to or something and then Raskolnikov is like, no, it's a funeral. And uh, <laughs> same thing. <laughs> yeah, he's like, well, I guess I'll see you later, dude. <laughs> and we'll uh, leaves and goes off to the funeral. And that just makes me think of that, you know, famous phrase to uh, funerals are for the living and birthdays are for the dying. Oof. Which is completely unrelated to this section of the book. But, you know, <laughs> just th- just think about it. Think about it. That, that is, uh, about I've never it. heard that. That's, uh, you've never heard that that's before. a lot to swallow. Yeah, no. It's pretty interesting. Very. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, after he says, ah, I got a funeral to go to, Raskolnikov leaves and goes home. And once he's at home, he tries to figure out, well, what the hell is Periphery thinking? What are his intentions? And Raskolnikov realizes that he needs to get to the memorial dinner. And he, he is about to open the door and leave, but the door start starts to open by itself. And 
a man is behind it, and it was the man who accused him of murder the other day. He tells Raskolnikov, he's like, yeah, I was the guy in the closet. I was going to be the surprise. And, uh, <laughs> and, and he's like, surprise. And he apologizes of accusing him of murder because Raskolnikov came off as a real madman during the interview. And he's like, the whole time he's in the closet, he's like, oh, Jesus, there's something wrong with this Raskolnikov. And he feels bad because Periphery was just like tearing him apart mentally. (laughs) (laughs) So, And then he's like, oh, can you ever forgive me? And then Raskolnikov, he's like, "Uh, yeah, sure, dude. And (laughs) he says to himself that he is ashamed of like all the displays of cowardice he has had before and all of these things, these chain chain of events prove that maybe he should walk free of his crime. So the, the, the painter coming in and, you know, basically confessing the man uh, saying that even though he was right of accusing Raskolnikov of murder, he, he basically wants to be forgiven for accusing him of that. And Raskolnikov is just like the same things with um, the chain of events leading up to the murder. There, there was all these events that confirmed his theory that he should kill the pawnbroker. And now he's like, oh shit. Well, I guess these chain of events happen. Everything's for a reason. And I should be a free man and I should walk free of my crime. And that brings us to an end of part four of the book. Part four. This one was very intense. We get once to... again, once again, man. Just uh, these little scenes with Raskolnikov and Periphery are just to die for. I just I can't get enough of reading these two guys talking back and forth, and you never quite know what Periphery's like true motives are. You know what I mean? Obviously, yeah. he's trying to find this murderer and he's got a pretty good suspicion that Raskolnikov's is a man but still the way that he deals with him is just like really good stuff oh yeah it's just totally toying with him like obviously he has some very telling clues and he's just trying to Raskolnikov I'll give him credit he's he's sticking his ground but periphery is still like like he was saying like he doesn't even have to do much to mentally torture someone and we'll we'll continue to see throughout this is that Raskolnikov he's very suspicious of periphery and those suspicions just make his mental suffering even worse and periphery doesn't even have to do anything so yeah it's it's a lot did you have any specific feelings overall the entire fourth part of this book here? Anything interesting? Of course, you know, we're we're still ramping up to something and we still have two parts uh, to wrap the bow on. But does anything specific come to mind from this particular chapter or section? I mean, yeah, th- this chapter was or this part was very interesting <laughs> just because of, you know, we see Peter's true intentions and like that whole scene going down. That was awesome to see. Absolutely. In the beginning, we are introduced to, I guess we could say he's our main baddie at this point, our main villain. Uh, And uh, I keep on thinking like, he, he's like this uh, Darth Maul, you know, Raskolnikov never thought he would um, 
see this villain coming, but here he is, like Darth Maul, the Sith haven't been talked about for thousands of years, and now here's this guy that's just going to completely fuck up Raskolnikov's world. So, yeah, the duel of fates are playing Raskolnikov as our Obi-Wan, Darth Maul is uh, Svidri Galov. Hopefully that makes sense. Um, but wow, yeah, we're gonna have a showdown, and the duel of fates are gonna, duel of fates are gonna be blasting, and it's a battle of, I guess, not good versus evil, but more of it, less evil and more evil. So yeah, that part was interesting. The whole scene with periphery was very well written and very intense. Oh, and also we are also led on to think that Raskolnikov is finally going to confess his murder to someone it's already been mutually agreed Razumian and Raskolnikov had that interaction like some something interchange where Razumian realized that oh shit he's the murderer so yeah there was a lot to break down in this part for sure Yes. I think one of my favorite takeaways from the whole thing is just seeing Raskolnikov get into some, like, personal uh, misadventures. You know what I mean? Just him going off, seeing Sonya, meeting Svidrigliov, Porfiry, you know. I love uh, his family and the time he spends with them, but it's also really cool to just see him go off and do his own personal thing. Yeah, the... Adventures of Raskolnikov will continue, so... Yes, they will. Stay tuned. Yeah. And, as always, uh, thanks for listening. Thanks for listening. Thank you for giving us your time. Um, At this moment, we are almost at 100 listens. Not that I am um, too concerned about the stats of this show. It is, you know, like I was saying, a fun show. Like, it's just straight... It's just for fun, but well, it is awesome to see that we are almost at that number. And uh, I just got to say, Joe Rogan, watch your back, dude, because we're coming for you. Yeah, we're coming for you, buddy. And we're we're going to I am so sick of you um, pray, uh, promoting your bro science. OK, buddy. And <laughs> <laughs> oh, whoa, whoa, whole- whoa. whoa. Oh, shit. No, I'm not done here. Uh, (laughs) Um, You attacking face masks? It needs to stop, and we're coming for you. Oh, I didn't hear about that, and I do not support it. No. Either way you slice it, it is just very exciting looking at the stats one way or the other, knowing that, like I said, I've had a few people personally message me and say nice things about the show, and uh, that's just fantastic. Yeah, the feedback, like, you know, obviously... It's going to be friends and family listening, but I am completely fine with that. The amount of like people that are listening and like just reaching out to me over this show has been awesome. You know, it it is so great to put out something that you've worked so hard on and um, receive positive feedback. So, yeah, we really appreciate it. Stay tuned for part five. It's a beefy. Plenty more to unpack. Part five. I'm going to be completely honest. Part five is my favorite. Yeah, no, I I thought a specific part in part five was actually going to be in this section, and I'm very excited to get to that. Are you thinking about the dinner? Oh, I'm thinking about the dinner. Oh, yes. I, I can't wait to do it. Yeah. So stay tuned, guys. And um, once again, thanks for listening, and we'll catch you guys on the next episode. 
Have a nice night. Have a nice night. Bye-bye.